this back. Is that what's in here? Oh, yeah. We're going to cross the big chairs. Yeah. All right. Grab your Bibles. We're going to jump right into the sermon today. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We see that God. Verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. How many of you guys have been thinking about Sabbath in a new way in the last couple weeks or more so? Um, how many of you guys are a little bit hesitant with it? Me? Am I the only one? Okay, I'm a little hesitant with Sabbath. Uh, how many of you guys are afraid of legalism? All of us, um, Jesus actually created something for us to enjoy. And so we're going to dive right into the message today and talk about what this Sabbath thing is. Exodus 20, verse 8, we see a reference to Sabbath for really the first time as a quasi-commandment, or at least a commandment at that point. Exodus 28 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, but the seventh day... It is a Sabbath day to the Lord. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner among you whom is in your gates. For six days the Lord has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Why, therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The reason that the command was given was we're supposed to be tied into the narrative of creation. You are a creature. You are a part of creation. You are not infinite. Therefore, as we talked about two weeks ago in the first teaching, it is important that we stop. That we do not just continue to go, 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 but stop. Today we're going to be talking about something different. It's the next element of Sabbath as week one was stopped, so the second teaching is rest. And this comes from Deuteronomy, where the commandment is actually repeated to the nation of Israel later on in the story. Deuteronomy 5, we're told that the words around Sabbath are repeated, only slightly different. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 5, the Sabbath day, uh, observe the Sabbath day. To keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and, on the, and do not do any work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, or your male servants, or your female servant, or your ox or donkey, or your livestock, or your sojourner who is among you in your gates, that your male servants and female servants may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave. In the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God, he brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. Do you see the difference? That one ties us into the narrative of creation. God is our maker. We are not infinite. We need to stop. This ties us into the narrative of liberation. That you are not a slave. You are not someone who is bound to continually work, 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 work. 
And so part of our observance of Sabbath is actually taking up the posture of a free man, a free woman that is able to take and rest and not perpetually be under work. You are free is what we're supposed to take away from our Sabbath observance. We have the ability to stop and our world won't come falling down. You are free. We love freedom. Free to do what we want. I'll say this very clearly, Sabbath is the only ten of the Ten Commandments, I believe, that is not repeated in the New Testament. Jesus, in fact, challenged the way that people observe Sabbath when he came to this earth. And so when we think about the old law and the new law, if Jesus repeats a law, I'm like, well, you guys still do that. Or if the New Testament authors repeat a law from the Old Testament, you guys still do that. But this is one that's absent. And so for me, it's not a law that if you don't do it, you're going to be found guilty. Although I'm open to being persuaded, there is some debate between scholars. Is this still intact or not? I lean towards it. No. But that it's an act of wisdom, an act of grace. There's a reason that Jesus says man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. It is a gift that is intended to be for us. This once per week time where the creator of all things has set you free from the bondage of having to labor and fight and and push against the um, brokenness and the curse that's on the earth. And so it's intended to be a gift to you. And that's what I had to shift in my mind when I started to think about Sabbath as as something that is something, a gift of Jesus that we're intended to be able to find revised joy, find revitalization, find fullness in this day. So we're set free. You're not obligated to observe Sabbath. And so what do we do with some of our freedom? Well, Especially in America, we love the idea of freedom because we are people who love to endeavor greatly. Many of us were, were brought up on the mentality and, and the, the mindset that you can be whatever you want to be. You can, you can aim for the stars, and so there's never an end to us trying to become the fullest version of ourselves. It's sort of the ugly side of the coin to self-actualization where it creates this never-ending work that you have to do to become. And so there is some ugly sides to this idea where, yes, we're free, you're not going to sin, but what if you you want to to work on the Sabbath? It's supposed to be a gift to you, but what if you go like, hey, what if I want to work? What if I want to take the seventh day and work overtime, continue to develop uh, some, some, some semblance of uh, gift or of, of financial security, of a secure future for my family, well, that's completely welcomed. What if you want to press into becoming a master of your trade? They say 10,000 hours for anybody to become a master. What if you want to chip away at those hours on the Sabbath? The sky is the limit. You know, my family, we have a narrative of our own. You could almost call it a lore. My, my great-grandpa, Grandpa Eiler, he was, uh, you know, in California. He dropped out of school at, at eighth grade, uneducated, but he was determined to, to make something of his life. And he was in L.A. County, and he heard about the continued growth and progression of this, uh, this 
this theme park that was coming up in the area. In around 1967, there was a construction of one of the, uh, the fixtures and rides at a theme park in that area. And he, although not qualified, he showed up to the job site as an 18-year-old and found the foreman and said, hey, I'm working for you now. You don't have to pay me anything, but I guarantee you, you will want to hire me after you see me work. And so for the next three days, he showed up early, he left late. He worked harder than anybody else, served everyone around him, and he proved his worth by how hard he was able to work. And he was hired on full time. And he began to work under Walt Disney, who was actually overseeing the final ride of Disneyland before he passed away, three months before it opened. This ride became synonymous with Disney. It became this massive thing that would actually be proliferated in Orlando and Tokyo and Paris. It would actually give birth to a franchise of movies that would actually gross $4.5 billion, all from this one ride. Any guess of what that ride is? Oh boy, that's right, you can trace back my grandpa told Jack Sparrow. <laughs> All of that back to the days of uh, the idea that if you work hard enough, you can prove that you're worthy. I don't know if that's uh, familiar to any of your upbringings, but that narrative, that storyline that I find my identity in, it filters through my family, the way I was raised, it, it filters into the work hard, prove your worth, endeavor greatly, work hard, and prove that you are worthy. Anybody else in the room have a mentality like that? Man, successful, man, it's praised in our society, and it's so much of my own story, proving my worth. What this can lead to, though, is it can lead to your knowledge that you're punching above your weight bracket, so to speak. You're always reaching for something just beyond if you don't know if you can reach it there. And so it can even create this imposter syndrome where you just have to keep driving, keep working, keep up so that you're not found out. And this is so much of the culture, the water, the air we breathe. You know, in, in Japan, many of you guys know that they have a work, or they have a word called karoshi. Karoshi means death by overwork. And we're sitting here going, man, they must work like crazy. Well, in fact, we Americans, on average, work 137 more hours per year than the Japanese. 260 hours more than the Brits and 499 hours more than the French. In 1960, during the rise of the so-called uh, labor-saving devices, i.e. dishwashers, central heating, computers, futurists, they were actually trying to foresee what life was going to be like after we had all the gadgets. They thought our life was going to be so easy that most Americans would only be working 20 to 30 hours per week because of all the time that was saved. Would you know the truth? We, we work more now than we did then. That, that we're busier, more enthralled in, in angst and constant chaos. You see, we chose the pursuit of becoming over rest. 
over enjoying the benefit of us overcoming and creating a culture where rest is possible. There are some places and some families even in our own community that rest is a benefit. It is something that is for a seldom few. Yet many of us, we spend time wondering what to do with our rest time. We need to realize and remember that just like my family had a narrative that we plugged into that formed who we were of work hard to become seen as worthy, so the people of Jesus are supposed to be oriented around a different narrative. The storyline of we are able to stop because we're connected to the narrative of our Creator. We are not infinite. We do not live by bread alone, but rather by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We're intended to be built into the narrative of liberation, of freedom, that we are not enslaved to continuing on this rat race and going and going and going without any stop in the future for us. You see... We need to just be real straightforward that um, when I talk as I am today, work is not the curse. Work is not the curse. And so when I talk about stopping and resting, some of us are like, oh, what do you do? You just sit there? I don't think we know how to rest very well. I came to that realization personally when I started Sabbathing two years ago. I don't know what to do with myself. Okay, so I'm not supposed to work on my sermon. I'm not supposed to follow up and call these people. I'm not supposed to do what I find most compelling to myself to kind of continue to build what, what I'm about with my life. Okay, so I just sit there. Ha, ha, okay. <laughs> and it became so, you're saying anxious, yes. Oh my God, I don't want Sabbath. This is not a gift. Because it became a law. Or I'm like, stop, don't do. But wait, did I do? How do I do this right? How do I not do this wrong? And it became this tension where it became the fixation of the mind. And this is where Jesus, when he shows up on earth, he's got to confront the people who become enslaved once again to Sabbath observance. Where their focus was following all these rituals and rules, and it became more work than the other six days of the week, probably. This is not the vision of rest or Sabbath that God has in mind. And so there's a deconstruction you and I have to do about the old model of maybe what you assume it is. Because I think a lot of us, we don't know what it is. And so we don't want to think about it. And so we just kind of go along. And we begin to live out the life that other people live in front of us. And we kind of just look and go, oh, that's what leisure looks like. Okay, I'm going to try and plan that. Oh, that's what rest looks like. Okay, I'm going to try and do that. But all the while, we're actually not feeding our souls. We're just becoming more and more a shell of ourselves. And we're doing all the things that are supposed to provide the rest and reprieve that our soul longs for. What do we do? And so with compassion, I, I, I sit with you and I say, this is something I'm wrestling through. This is something I'm trying to understand. Jesus says this. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, I don't think we know what Jesus is even talking about here. Because my experience doesn't necessarily align with this. And so I must need to understand what Jesus is talking about because it sounds pretty good to me. Amen? There are two ways that we can face the world and interact with the world. One way I'm going to call the way of Cain. Yes, the brother of Abel, child of Adam and Eve. The other way is the way of Jesus. I want to talk to you about the way of Cain this, this evening. Genesis 4, 10. If you'll go there in your Bibles. We know the story, uh, most of us, of Cain and Abel. Cain became jealous of Abel because Abel was able to offer a gift that was pleasing to the Lord. Lots of confusion about what was going on there. The important thing to understand is that Cain, in anger and frustration with God and with Abel, killed his brother. He couldn't stand to see the acceptance of another and the rejection of his own self. And God comes to him to wonder what he's saying. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood and, uh, from your hand. When, you're, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And in this terrifyingly sad verse, in verse 16, then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Many of us have found how to live the life of Cain. Wanderers perpetually seeking, looking to be satisfied outside of God's presence. We found a way to settle east of Eden, which is code for not in the presence of God, not where we were designed, outside of the blessed place of fellowship with God. We are living east of Eden, and most of us are trying to survive. We're like, yeah, God, I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to walk away from the faith. But really, I need something else to satisfy me, to keep me going, because east of Eden is hard. It's hard. And so uh, we see that the life of Cain is one that um, he lived outside of God's presence. The way of Cain, number one, he was a perpetual wanderer. He never stopped looking to the horizon. And this is a part of this curse. You will be a wanderer. Number two, you'll never be at rest. Interestingly enough, if you were to go back to Genesis 2.15, Adam and Eve, when God created them, he actually placed them in the garden. And that word placed or set 
is rested. You see, Adam and Eve, they were designed, we were designed to live in the place of God's presence at rest with Him. And just like work is not part of the curse, you see this verse, it's, it's He placed them there at rest to cultivate, to work, the property, the grounds. But we see that all of humanity, past Adam and Eve, lived east of Eden, still fighting, working ground. So there is this unsettledness to the way of Cain. Perpetual wandering, looking for a place to call home. Never truly at rest, looking, longing, hungering, and settling to survive east of Eden, away from God's presence. This is the culture we live in. The culture that everybody's unsatisfied. Everybody's wandering, looking, watching the horizon, waiting for the thing that will satisfy them. You and I, we, we are embracing the cursed way of Cain. But if you want to know the truth, I think Satan would love for you to believe that you're cursed, but you're not. Adam and Eve were not cursed. The ground was cursed. The earth was cursed. So why is it that we find it so much easier to live the cursed life of Abel than it is to live the life that God designed, excuse me, designed for us? Why is it that we're so comfortable being so angsty and longing and looking for things outside of ourselves. We look for rest, but we don't know how to truly find rest. That's my conviction, my personal. I had to realize I don't know how to rest. Uh, I can go to the tropics and I can float on those floaty things. I can swim in the pool, then I can go jump in the ocean. I can try a pina colada, then I can try this. I can try all of you know what I mean? You go on these vacations. It, all of it. I know I'm triggering some people. That's okay. So we go to the tropics. We search. We go to Vegas. We search. We go to the, um, the visual theme park that is Netflix. And we search. And we long. And we hunger. And we strive. Living out this life of wandering. The perpetual hunger. The emptiness that we look outside of ourselves to be satisfied. And in the face of this, we do not find satisfaction. We gorge ourselves on all that our conscience will allow us to do, and then we come back to real life shell-shocked, more exhausted, five pounds heavier, with awkward tan lines, and we're looking for another vacation from our vacation. What the heck is rest? What is it? Well, there's no rest to be found if we live in the way of Cain. There's only the longing and the perpetual hunger, the feeding, and then it turns to gravel in our mouth and it never satisfies our soul. Up against the, the way of Cain is the way of Jesus. 
Look with me in John chapter 4, this beautiful little story. In John 4, it says this in verse 5. So when he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob, he had given, uh, sorry, that had been given to, uh, given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Jesus was weary. He lived in this earth and he understood what it was like to be tired, to be spent, to be overextended, and to be exhausted. And so he's sitting by this well and, and he's talking with this woman and he's interacting with her. And they're interacting and he's, he's talking. And his disciples are off in the city going to get food for him because they know he's hungry. Um, and so they come back and they're like, Rabbi, eat, eat. What are you doing talking to this lady? Get some food. And Jesus looks at him and he says, uh, in verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You see, the way of Jesus is a way where he is actually able to tap into something different in the world than we are able to, or the way that Cain knows. You see, Jesus, he was able to commune with the Father and tap into the substance of life that was like a well that bubbled up and led to ongoing thriving. Jesus was able to rest in the midst of this broken world. And so he alone is truly able to say, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. Learn from me. gentle, humble heart, and you will find rest and relief for your souls. And what if all that Jesus came to supply was that word, relief for your souls? Now some of you are spiritually tired. You walk day in and day out knowing that you don't do enough, think, think the right thoughts, uh, show up in the way you want to, you're not holy enough, you think lowly upon yourself, and when you think about coming to Jesus, you're going like, ah, oh, that feels like an anxious moment, like I'm going to have to explain so much, he's going to be so frustrated. But Jesus says, what if all he came to do was to give relief to your soul? That when you came, his very presence would be like water pouring over a dry sponge, and you just soaked it in every bit of you. That fears his presence is saturated by his calming, filling, life-giving goodness. Come, come to me, all of you who are weary with your failure, weary with your frustration, weary with your inability to change, weary from letting them down again, come to me. Not only this, the, 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 the rest that Jesus comes to give is not merely a relief. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. And the word for rest is revival. And so it's not, if your heart is here and it's like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I'm dragging into your presence, Jesus, and you're just like, duh. Okay, sit there, that's cool. What if that's all that it was? Yep, just stay where you are. That's good enough for me, this limping heart, weary. That's not what Jesus says. He says, I will give you rest, which actually revives, resurrects, 
brings higher, exalts, brings life where there is death, brings new energy and joy and, and, and abundance where there was emptiness, sorrow, and lacking. So how, how is it that we are to encounter this rest that Jesus comes and promises? But we know when we look at uh, eternity, we know that there is a day when Revelations 14, 13, we're told this, and I heard a voice from heaven uh, saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. There will be a day when we are finally and fully at rest in God's presence. Where, where when we finally settle in His goodness, when we, when we finally arrive at that place of believing the gospel again and going like, you really do love me, right where I am, you really do want to bring life to my mortal body and to infuse my weariness with your liveliness. And there's no fear of that dissipating. I don't know about you, but I have moments where I really believe the gospel to my core. Where I really am overwhelmed by the love of Jesus, where his presence is more tangible to me than, than the floor I'm standing on, than my problems that are real and exist. Those moments happen, but there's always this fleeting moment where it's like, and then it's leaving, and then I get reminded, my dog Choose on something or whatever, or you know what I mean? Like, get another text notification, and then I'm like, ah, Jesus, no! There will be a day when it is our reality, undisturbed. Man, glory upon glory upon glory upon glory upon glory. But what a gift that that is our future. What a gift. That we'll be able to not merely just stop and chill, but actually when we're resting in eternity. It's not this, just, just, just real quick, heaven is not this cloud that you're sitting on in a diaper strumming a cord with angel wings. That's, I hope you know that. That sounds terrible. Nor is it a recycled day over and over again. It is, it is an eternal progression of blossoming. Us blossoming, eternity blossoming, and the world we are going to co-create with God, blossoming into this beautiful expression of what God and humanity come together like, like a marriage births a new world together with them. You see, human, humanity in the future, yes, rest it's not stopping. Resting is creative. Resting is the place where, where we're able to, yes, be refueled. But somehow Jesus healed the sick on the Sabbath and didn't break the Sabbath. Somehow Jesus says, up until today the Father has been working and I am working on the Sabbath. So there's something that I'm still trying to figure out. That we can actually live a dynamic life of rest that isn't just chilling on the beach 
but that is creative and lovely and, and, and engaging. And we can even encounter that today. You see, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus makes it very clear that you are not accursed. In fact, if there were any doubts, Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, which is death, because we fail by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who is hung on a tree. In Jesus Christ, you can see the curse overturned and begin to experience a uncursed reality. Not all the time. We have to cultivate this reality once a week. The Sabbath is intended to be a day where you try as much as you're able to sample and create the world that is to come. It's a taste of heaven. It's a taste of what will be. It's a taste of seeing life beyond. I love uh, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Um, he wrote this book, which is really beautiful. It's like poetry, line by line, about the Sabbath. He's a Jewish scholar. He says this, The seventh day is like a palace in time, a kingdom for all. It is not a day, but an atmosphere. And I can just say, I know that sounds like really like artsy-fartsy, cool. Um, I can't explain it any other way than that, but to go like, there is an atmosphere that when we pursue and invite, we are able to enter into the atmosphere of eternity. For me, I have enjoyed and been transformed by recognizing, yes, the future state of rest is a reality, but also know that throughout this world, there is moments where Jesus is actually provided Days, 24-hour chunks that serve almost as doorways to the world that is to come. Dan Allender, another great scholar, says this, The Sabbath is only a day, yet it is the gateway to another eon that cannot be entered by any, um, any of other door. You see, we are able to enter into this rest today even in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Peter, when speaking to the crowds who were weary and heavy laden, he says this in Acts 3.19, Repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, peace, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. All that times of refreshing would be frequent, often, Let's be clear, Sabbath is not the answer to our longing heart. The presence of Jesus is the answer to our longing heart. Observing one day a week is not going to... There's no formula other than the fact God has actually said, I'm giving you a God-approved day for you to stop pleasing others. 
I'm giving you a God-approved day for you to push against the curse. That the work you do, that you hate doing. I'm giving you a day of guilt-free stopping. And saying, you know what? I don't feel like doing that. Every other day of the week, you're like, but I got bills to pay and people to please and da 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 And God's saying, no, but once a week, I want you to know. If you want to, you can. You can give yourself permission to say no to busyness. To say no to one more thing. To say no to living the life that other people want for you. And say yes to one day a week where you go, actually, my soul... My soul, I need rest. I need to engage in something different. You see, rest is so much different than stopping. We're going to learn over the next few weeks that Sabbath is not just stopping, not just rest, but there is a component of finding delight and finding richness that God has for us in the world that he has created for us. In joy of reckoning God's finished work that he did on the cross for us. It's a day where worship comes from the overflow of gladness from God, not forced times of gritted teeth. Biblical rest is tranquility, serenity, peace, and repose. It is stillness, peace, and harmony. It is a synonym in the biblical history for the life in the world to come for eternity itself. So when you think of Sabbath, please do whatever you can to push down those fearful ideas that it's something that's meant to like crush you, restrain you, and really believe Jesus when he says, actually I created the Sabbath to be a gift to you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm certainly thankful for rest in eternity. And over the last couple of years, I've really tried to allow myself to follow the ways of Jesus. Jesus lived in this world in a different way. And he lived out of rest and not out of the reserves. And I have to be honest, I've told you this before, like I've tried to think my way into better discipleship, obedience, and overcoming the flesh, all of that. And to be honest and very transparent, I lived for, I've been in ministry 18 years now, just saying, Sabbath is for others, if at all. <laughs> I'm the pastor, what I'm supposed to do, you know? But I would find myself working, 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 and then at the end of it, I would be exhausted and I'd finally have me time. And I was in the worst shape to be able to handle me time. 
when we are exhausted, we are not trustworthy with free time. It's where all of the worst decisions happen. It's where we're at our weakest to choose to obey instead of indulge. We know how to indulge ourselves. We don't know how to rest. And one thing has been more powerful than anything else. It has been welcoming the work of the Holy Spirit through consistently sowing to the Spirit the rhythm of Sabbath in my life. For me, it's Friday night, sundown, boom. My kids know Dad is resting. My wife and I, we choose to push against the curse. So if you think back to the curse, there's uh, childbearing is going to be painful. So we're trying to we're trying to do painful things. Um, work is going to be by the sweat of our brow. So if I hate doing it, my wife can't ask me to do it. Um, nor do I want to do it and don't do it. But there are some things that I love to do. Like I, I've loved designing and building out my... A tattoo studio. That's something that I'm okay with doing on the, on the Sabbath because it's not burdensome. It's life-giving. It's cultivation. My wife and I, we, we know that part of the curse is that there's going to be tension between male and female, husband and wife, and so we, sh- we, we shelf any tense topics on the Sabbath. And for the rest, let's just, let's just be. This isn't avoidance, this is trusting God. For us to rest, we must release. So, that is my uh, invitation to you this, this coming week. It's rethinking what Sabbath is. And let it be a gift to you instead of something that is a burden or unnecessary. It's permission from your God, your maker, to not merely stop, but also to remember. Remember that you're not slaves. You don't need to continue on. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need more stuff. You don't need to please those people or me. Let's give each other permission to rest. I gave permission. Don't return my text on your Sabbath. Don't come help me on your Sabbath. That's okay. It's more essential that your very vital person comes to life in God. That's the heart of what God has made us for. To come to life with Him. How beautiful. How beautiful. The longest of the Ten Commandments. It's like a third one. More nuanced than any other of the commandments in the Ten. And it's a gift to you. He spends the most time going like, hey, get this one right. God's heart is for us. It's hard to rest. So next week we're going to be continuing on this topic of rest, and there'll be a time of Q and A. We're actually going to have some of our uh, small group leaders up here interacting with some of how it's going for you guys, um, and we're going to do an interaction. Um, I'm going to introduce you into an interaction right now. So I'm going to ask you to uh, pull out your phone. Oh no, this is going 
He's not kind, is he? Okay, so just total transparency. Uh, I've got 19 financial texts. I've got 15 voicemails on my phone. Uh, I've got two notifications from the Bible app. I've got 14 from Yelp. Um, I have 3,905 unanswered emails, uh, and that's only on one of the email platforms I have. Um, this is the anti-rest tool, right? I'm gonna think, I'm gonna ask you to just try something, okay? Um, we're gonna enter into a time of worship. We're gonna enter into a time of breaking bread. Typically, each week, there's an introduction, right? When you walk in the room, some of you all were late, you're like, oh, crap. What element are we? Introduction. And then there's a prayer. That prayer is intended to go, hey, I know you're in a crazy world. Let me help you transition from the chaos into the rest of God. That's what we do each week. And then we will sing a bit, and then we'll hear the word of God. And then we'll transition to more worship. There's a flow and intentionality to what we do. Today I dove right into it, knowing that you've come from very busy worlds. I'm going to ask you, if you, you may not know this button is here, um, but I have an iPhone. I'm sorry I'm not advanced enough to know um, what makes uh, droids better than iPhones, so I don't know how to operate them. Um, but if you hold this button, on the side. Please. No, it's both sides. And it's like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to disconnect from the Matrix? Are you sure? And, and it even flashes like medical emergency, SOS. What on earth could make you push both those buttons? Are you okay? And then you have to, you have to actually like, oh, I don't know, right? It's like, okay. And then, and it's slow, slow fade. Oh. Literally, my own personal experience right now, I literally feel more present to this room, to each one of you, and more human than I did two seconds ago. Okay. Do you want to try the experiment? <laughs> try it, right? Let's all do it together. All right, you're doing it. Pull out your phones. But wait, I got I have puppies at home. What if they need me? Come on. Pull out your phones. Oh gosh, you guys are so anti-authoritarian. Gosh. Anybody else? Okay. Phones. It's going to take like 25 minutes to reflect on the body of Jesus broken for us, his bloodshed. It sets us free from the demands of the world. It sets us free from the feeling that we have to earn his love. That pipes us into his story that we are not slaves. By his outstretched arm, he has rescued us from slavery to sin, self, 